This week I read the, I was reading the paper, uh, every so often that happens, and I was reading about the hurricane in Texas, um, and I read this story I wanted to share with you, very brief, story of a guy called Jose Jimenez, who worked for 40 years, 43 years to achieve his American dream, leaving Mexico as a young man with nothing to come to Texas, build a career and fund a home, a family and a future. In a matter of minutes, so much of what he had worked for was lost. This is now from the article, lost yesterday, as the San Jacinto River, formerly an idyllic backdrop for his home in the woods in Conroe, burst its banks and poured through the community. You work so hard for a lifetime. You come so far. Then in minutes, you lose everything. Mr. Jimenez, 63, lamented yesterday soaked and shivering devastation loss grief lament lament that word caught my attention i was reading the i was reading the the times the paper it's a word that we uh, are unfamiliar with often lament is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow, a passionate expression of grief and sorrow, a complaint, a cry. Lament is speech at the limit. Lament can be personal, we see in the Psalms. Lament can be deeply personal. Psalm 13, we just had read through, is a deeply personal cry, a lament. So much of our popular music is personal lament. Lament, personal lament says something isn't right in my life, in my situation, in my world. And that's having an impact on me and it's having an impact on my relationship to myself, to others and to God. And lament also can be corporate. Lament can be something that we together do. And again, in the Psalms, we see this again and again. Israel saying, God, it's not right for us. We've been devastated. The temple's been torn down. We've all been carried off to Assyria or wherever else it was. Laments can be national events. I think of just this last week or a couple of weeks that we've been remembering, haven't we, the, the death of Diana, Princess Diana. Do you remember that was a, for those of you who were alive, that was a, that was a national moment of lament. And it was rare. We haven't had many like it. Life is full of lament. Every one of us, whoever we are, wherever we're from, is going to experience times in our lives where the only appropriate, the only possible response is lament, is a cry, is, is a, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, a complaint. Life is full of this, and yet, how often can we honestly say our churches create the space for this? How often in our churches, in our spiritual life, do we want to push this fundamentally human thing, this human posture, this human activity to the, to the margin, because it makes us uncomfortable? Or maybe it's that we've even developed a particular theology, a way of understanding God which says that, well, we know Jesus wants faith, right? So if I say the right things and think the right things, the right things, 
then maybe he'd be more pleased with me. It's a trap that we can all easily fall into. I don't know if we have this quote on the screen, but I read this in the week. A guy called Dan Allender said, Christians seldom sing in the minor key. We fear the somber. We seem to hold sorrow in low esteem. We seem predisposed to fear lament as a quick slide into doubt and despair. Failing to see that doubt and despair are the dark soil that is necessary to grow confidence and joy. Church. A church without lament is a church which has a serious spiritual problem. A massive, massive issue. If we, can, if, if, if we can only sing the anthems and we don't know how to sing the blues in church, then we're not experiencing the fullness of life. And we're not going to be experiencing the fullness of God either. We've been in a series called The Ancient Paths and we've been looking at what it means to become a person who follows Jesus, who walks down the paths that Jesus walks down. And we've said that the Psalms are one key area, one key way in which we can join Jesus. There is no such fear of lament in the Psalms. As we'll see, there are a third of the Psalms, at least a third, are either laments or contain lament. Here's why lament is essential in developing our relationship with God. Because laments help us find language, and the Psalms help us find language for the whole of life. The Psalms help us bring our whole lives into communion with God. We don't have to separate some part of it. If we read the Psalms, and I, we encourage you here at Trinity to read one a day with us, we'll find that we're bringing the whole of life before God. Sometimes that's deeply uncomfortable because we're reading Psalms that our hearts aren't connecting with directly. This morning, we want to offer an opportunity to hear a lament, not just a lament from Psalm 13, which we've heard, but a lament from our community. I'm going to just invite Louise to come and share. So good morning everyone. This is quite bizarre and quite strange for me to be stood and speaking to you today. So my background is I've been brought up in the corporate world. I haven't really been brought up in church. And in December 2015, my husband was diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer. At the stage when he was diagnosed at the age of 33, it had already spread to his liver and he was given a 7% chance of surviving more than five years. Last year was really, really hard for us as a family, and at times I kind of really spoke to, to people about the fact that I'd really wished that I'd, I'd had some kind of love for God and, and a faith that could have helped me through parts of last year, and I, and I didn't. And actually, this time last year, George started to get really, really sick. And in October, he was taken into hospital. And sadly, in November, he, he passed away really peacefully at the age of, of 34. Now, during this time, there was a series of events that happened that I, I don't have the, share, the time to share with you guys today. But um, God came into my life in a really powerful, moving, and, and real way. And one of the ways in which he, he came to my life was, was in response to the prayers that I wrote. Now... I didn't used to pray, if I'm being completely honest. I didn't know how to pray. I remember 
meeting people in the hospital when my husband was, was dying and saying to them, I, I don't know how to talk to God. I, I don't know the words. I'm, I don't know the religious scripture. And my, my psychologist at the time said to me, just write. Just write a letter. And at first I started writing letters to, to George, my husband. And I've got all of these. And then I wrote a letter to God. And something big happened. I'm not going to share what happened today. But what I am going to share are my personal words. So this is a deeply personal part of my life that I'm going to invite you into right now. It's almost a diary entry that I'm going to read. So please kind of honour that emotion. Dear God, I'm not sure if this is your name. I'm not sure if this is even what I want to call you. I'm still trying to figure out what the supernatural forces that I seem to have connected with over the last few days and how I personally want to identify with you. But whoever and whatever you are, I want to say thank you. Thank you for coming into my life at a time when I feel frightened, scared, sad, lost, and completely and utterly heartbroken. Thank you for giving me hope in my darkest hour. Thank you for the peace. I tried to get in touch with you when I hit rock bottom, driving around in the countryside in desperation as I realized that one person, that the one person who keeps me going on this earth was most likely leaving soon. The person who's my rock, my partner in crime, my soulmate, my true love. The person who connects with me on a level I've never felt with anyone else. The person whom I wholeheartedly love. The father of my children. The center of my world. I feel so angry that you are taking him from me. I feel so sad that I have to live in my current universe without him. I feel so jealous of all of the other people who don't have to go through this at the age of 33. I feel sad about the dreams that you're cruelly snatching from me. But somehow, in all of this darkness, you have helped open my eyes to a power beyond my comprehension. Something that does feel miraculous. Something that incites fear and hope almost simultaneously. You are making me see and truly believe in a spiritual plane that I always thought was a fantasy to help people feel better. You have shown me a glimpse of a force or a power far greater than me, far greater than George. A force that knows me better than I know myself. A force that even in my wildest dreams I didn't believe existed. A force that is pretty magical, supernatural, and exciting. I tried to get in touch with you because there's a small part inside of me that does believe in miracles. I so desperately desired the miracle of you healing George that I was prepared to do anything, absolutely anything, to get it. So then somehow, and I still don't really know how, you sent a girl called Kerry into my life. An amazingly kind and brilliant person Someone who has faith. Someone who seems to be connecting with you in a way that I can't. Someone who is helping me through this. 
someone who wants to help you help me for no malicious or badly intended reason. I know that Kerry isn't making up the encouragement and the messages that she's sending me. I know that they're coming to, to me from somewhere beyond the world I inhabit and currently understand. They're too real. It isn't a coincidence that she sends me encouragement at the exact moment that I need it, despite the fact that she is a complete stranger. I know that I'm supposed to do something with this newfound connection that I'm discovering. It's exciting. It's amazing. It's a bit like a drug. I know, too, that you wanted to bring Johnny and his family into my life. I'm really enjoying this help. Thank you. But this drug is distracting me from the present, somehow eclipsing me from the most painful and saddest thing I have ever felt. It's making me feel scared. Scared that I'm missing moments in the here and now. Scared that I'll forget to say things to George whilst he's still physically with me. Scared that some people will quite frankly think I'm mad. Scared that I won't grieve properly and let this excitement and new love block out the pain. The fact is, I now wholeheartedly believe in your existence, your, your force, your powers of divine intervention. I'm currently experiencing your love and your comfort. I can feel it, I can see it, I can touch it. I also know that you're making me say goodbye to George in a way, in the way that I know him now. And for that, I hate you. However brilliant and amazing your powers are, it's so horrid that my husband has been so hideously poorly. He's endured so much pain, so much suffering, and it's going to end with him being taken from us all. He is the best, a good guy. A wonderful husband, daddy, son, friend, colleague. He really is one of the good ones. I don't want this to happen. I don't understand why it's happening. I wish this wasn't happening to me, and I wish somehow that you could change it. I so desperately want to believe in the miracles of healing that Carrie and her friends speak of, but the scientist and, her, and the pragmatist in me can't. It seems completely ridiculous and impossible that your powers can heal. But I want it more than anything I have ever wanted. I desire it so badly that I'll do anything within my power to get it. And this is where the tension starts for me. You've opened my eyes to a world of hope, love and compassion that exists on a plane that exists on a different plane to the life that I've led up until now. I can sense it all around me. It's so bonkers that it incites spark, a spark of hope and fire within me. I feel giddy and excited, but then I feel scared and angry. Are you setting me up for a fall? I have to protect myself because I know that George is leaving me. His body is failing him. Everyone knows it. You can see it in his weakening face. So my question to you is if you love me this much, why do I have to lose George? Why can't he stay? Why can't he be part of my adventure on this earth for a little while longer? 
Why do I have to be a warrior when I don't have to be one? Why do my children have to grow up without a dad? I've been trying to convince myself for the last few days that this somehow was our divine destiny. Somehow that makes it feel slightly better, but I still don't like it. I've been trying to convince myself that George's heart, soul, and love are so wonderfully brilliant that he's too good for the world we currently live in. That my children, like George, are so strong that they're capable of growing up without one of the most solid foundations and role models they could ever ask for, their dad. I'm trying to tell myself that this is just the dar a dark chapter in my life and it will get better that there is hope and happiness to be had, that George will live forever in my heart and I'll somehow still be able to communicate with him on some level through you and through love. So are you making me choose between him and you? Or do I have to love you to still have him in, in some way? Or is it that you've always been here and you are our love? So you and him are sort of part of the same thing. I don't know. And I definitely don't understand it. So this is what makes me scared. So scared. I'm scared of all of the emotions that I'm feeling. I'm scared that I have to know all of the answers for my children who are three and one. I'm scared that I've got to carry on with life without my best friend. I'm scared that I haven't yet reached rock bottom and there's still an abyss of emptiness, sadness and grief that I have to fall into before I can get back up. So please, please keep helping me. I beg you. I don't know how you do this. I'm not even sure how I'm supposed to ask for it. Sitting and praying feels like I'm a bit of a fraud at the moment, but I like writing you letters. So know this, I wish you could cure George. I really, really do. I'm so scared of what's happening. Please keep the love coming to me as I feel like I'm in the process of falling so hard. I feel like I'm being brave and strong when really I know my world is crumbling and changing completely around me. I feel like I'm finding happiness and carrying on even though I'm so desperately sad. I hate that I've had to give George permission to die, even though I don't want him to. I hate, this hate is my reality. And even though you're showing me that there's part of this reality that is so exciting, I still hate you. But please help me, my dearest God. Show me what to do. Use the people who can connect with you in a way I can't just yet to guide me. Make George be happy. Don't let him feel any more physical or emotional pain. Don't let this be too drawn out. But if it's at all possible and is within your capabilities, please let my boys have a dad a little longer. Please. I'd really love that. But I can't bring myself to say it out loud because I know I should be seen to be accepting of his death for him more than anyone else. I wouldn't dare to tell this to anyone other than you. I don't want people to know that I'm crazy enough to be so in love that it makes me believe in miracles. I'm not giving up hope. I can feel it. 
But if you can't do any of this, which I recognize is a huge ask, even of you, please keep, keep showing up in my life. Please keep showing me that you love me. Don't ever stop. It's the only thing I've got to live for other than my children at this point in time. Show me that you'll care and protect me. Show me that you'll help me not be sad, not be lonely, not be jealous. I love George with everything I have. I want to love you in the same way, but I don't know how. So please keep helping me. Please guide me. With love, Louise. Thank you. So, share that just as a, just an example of that personal cry. And there's probably things in there that, as you heard, uh, rocked you, things that moved you, things that shook you. And that's what lament does. And as we see in Psalm 13, uh, the question that defines lament is really why. How long, Lord? How long will you forget me forever? How long? This question at the heart of lament is this question, why? And I just, for the next sort of 10 minutes or so, just want to share just a few things that we can learn about lament. A few things that we as the church need to know. If we're going to use this essential and important tool, this language to God in a way that's safe and builds us up and helps us grow. Um, We don't fall back maybe into um, despair or bitterness, but we can uh, use it in the way that the psalmist uses it. And the first thing I think we need to understand is that to lament is to be human. I've already really said this. Uh, But to be human is to experience things in life that we wish didn't happen. We've had a powerful personal example of that. And actually, if we think about our own lives, we've all had moments uh, where we've experienced things that we just wish weren't happening, whether it's uh, the loss of somebody as Louise experienced, or just events in our, maybe our career, our home life, um, maybe through childhood or as adults, that we just wish weren't, weren't the way that they've turned out. So to lament actually is to, be, is to be human. And I think this is where the church often misses out. Because I think part of the reason that... Um, People outside of the church maybe critique the church. Part of the way that they critique the church is to say that all we do, you know, we're happy clappy. And we don't really engage uh, with the depth of reality. Maybe the perception about the church in the world is that the church, people in the church are shallow. And that's absolutely not the way that the church should be perceived. In fact, that's not the the way that the church should behave. Yes, we want to be... Dare I say it, happy and clappy. There are moments for praise. As we said just a couple of weeks ago, that there are moments for demonstrating, outpouring physically and emotionally our devotion to God. In fact, that is the dominant mood of the Psalms. That we as followers of God, as Jesus' followers, are practicing praise regularly, yet... What we see in the Psalms is that praise isn't mutually exclusive. Praise and lament are not mutually exclusive. They reinforce one another. One of the things perhaps we need to understand as the church is that we become sometimes more human, more visibly human, and we experience and engage with God at a deeper level when we engage with this area of our lives. So to lament, firstly, is to be human. Secondly, to lament is to be spiritually healthy. 
Will, when he's kicked off the, uh, the series on the Psalms, this uh, mini-series, Within This Ancient Paths series we've been looking at, talked about Psalm 1, which really is the introduction to all of the Psalms. And the psalmist in Psalm 1 has this picture of a tree planted by a stream of water which yields fruit in and out of season. In other words... This picture is a metaphor of a fruitful person, a fruitful life, a fruitful community. It's where we're supposed to be headed. And the psalmist is using this as a key to say, look, if you meditate on these words, and these words are the the words of the psalms, you will be like that tree. You will be spiritually healthy. You will grow and you will prosper and you will flourish. And what are the words contained within the book? They're words of praise. They're words of joy. They're words of happiness. They're words of life, of flourishing, of healing, and all that great stuff. And they're words of lament. And they're words of desperation. And there are questions of why. And there are questions of how long. And the Psalms are happy with both. And what the psalmist is saying, what the whole book is saying, is that to be spiritually healthy, you need to be somebody who is able to manage, able to live in both. Not to, not to live in denial, not to live in self-deception. We just have to push the difficult stuff to the side because it's too painful. That isn't spiritual health. But actually to be spiritually healthy is to someone who could admit the reality. Specifically, we see this in Psalm 13 and all the other Psalms of Lament. We're shown a, a picture, a window into a heart that feels that the language here, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? It's intensely personal. The last thing it is, is numb. The last thing it is, is, is numbness. You know, I think the biggest battle in the church today that we have to fight is apathy. We've got to be, we've got to be the community in this city that is, that is able to feel the highest highs, with God, you know the moment where you, God breaks into your life and there's just, there's, no, there's just no words for it. That moment where he does something for you, you've been praying for, or somebody in your, you see somebody come to faith, or you see him move in a way in your life, and it might be a small thing, and you just exhilaration of knowing his goodness. You know, there's no, we've got to be able to feel that and celebrate that with each other. But also, the lows too. To say both, to be able to cry out together, how long? This psalm, this psalmist does that. The last thing we're supposed to be is apathetic. Nah. And so, much, so much of our culture is just driven and described by apathy. Church, let's not be apathetic. So to lament is to be spiritually healthy, to be human. Thirdly, to lament is actually an expression of faith. We can miss this very easily. Perhaps one of the reasons we avoid lament is that we think that to lament, to cry out to God, demonstrates a lack of confidence in God, a lack of trust, a lack of faith. And the one thing we know is that Jesus likes faith, right? You can't read the Gospels without seeing that. He does respond to faith. And look, it's true. He loves faith. God loves faith. My old pastor used to say, faith is the magic with God. God loves faith. But faith doesn't always look like putting on a happy face. Faith faith looks like facing up to the realities of life with God. And knowing, having a deep confidence that he is there with you always. 
As he says, I'll be with you always, even until the very end of the age. That's confidence. Confidence that knowing whatever pit, whatever dark valley, as Psalm 23 describes it, the valley of the shadow of death, whatever valley I have to walk through, he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. That's Psalm 23. That's confidence. That's faith. Knowing that God won't necessarily always rescue us from difficulty, but that having the confidence that will be with us in the midst of it. To lament is to express faith. Look at Psalm 13. Notice who it's addressed to. God. Just like Louise's lament was addressed to God even at the beginning of her own journey, the psalmist addresses the lament to God. That is itself an expression of confidence. Yeah, there's a rupture in this relationship. There's a rupture in the world. Everything's broken. Bob Dylan said, but I'm going to present my complaint to God, to him and no one else. That expresses faith. Dan Allender, second quote, I think we could have this up, says, the person who hears your lament and far more who bears your lament against them, paradoxically, is someone you deeply, wildly trust. I love that phrase, wildly trust. To sing a lament against God in worship reveals far, far greater trust than to sing a jingle about how happy we are and how much we trust him. Lament cuts through insincerity, strips pretense, reveals the raw nerve of trust that angrily approaches the throne of grace and then kneels in awed, robust wonder. Lament gets beyond the BS. Don't hear me saying that uh, praise is always BS. Far from it. Praise that comes in sight, through and in sight of the realities of life is precious. Praise, church praises our destiny. It's our destination. It's where we're going to end up. But there's something of, of deep trust and confidence in God expressed through lament. Fourthly, to lament is to look to a better future. Lament has at its heart, not just faith, but hope. What is hope? Hope is faith projected into the future. Lament assumes faith. Lament assumes hope. Psalmist, verse 13, uh, sorry, Psalm 13, verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. Looking forward to the future, I will sing the Lord's praise. For he has been good to me. Here we have the present tense. The psalmist is looking forward on the basis of who God has been into the future and saying, there will be hope. I have hope for the future. Because of the goodness of God, even in the midst of a lament, even in the midst of this cry, lament looks to the better future. Lament is a search for a breakthrough in the present age. The only reason we lament is because we're hoping and trusting and praying for breakthrough. There's an interesting thing that you see when you look at the Psalms as a whole. There are 150 Psalms, you may know, know that. They're, they're actually, um, and you see this when you read through them, they're staged in five sections, five books. 
And the way that the Psalms uh, develop, each book has a particular character, particular flavor. But if you look at the whole, what you find is that the first, say, couple of books of the five books, the dominant theme, there are Psalms of praise for sure, but the dominant theme is actually lament. The, the final three books, you, there are, again, there are lament Psalms in the final three books, but the dominant note in the Psalms is praise. So if you take a sort of a view back at the Psalms as one piece of literature, which they are, they're edited for a reason and, and in that way for a purpose. What you see is that we have a movement in, in the Christian faith from lament into hope, into praise. And that, that's a cycle that we're able as Christians to, to go round and round and round on. But the problem I fear is that if we, if we cut lament out, we'll never get to a deeper praise. We short-circuit a deeper discovery of the goodness of God if we won't admit the reality of our lives before him. Lament is not our ultimate destination. But it is an essential place to visit and sometimes remain in for a season if we're to reach a place of deepened hope and deeper surrender. Finally, to, to lament is to be transformed. We will, as we lament, as tears fall, as we cry out to God, experience the presence of God, I believe, in a deeper way than we can possibly experience it without. Some of you have lived this. Some of you are living this right now. Let me tell you, hold on. Keep crying out to a God. Keep trusting in his goodness and crying from that place because you will experience God show up in your life. You may not experience him showing up in your life in the way you imagined or desired. You may not uh, See the healing. You may. You may. But you may not. But God promises that he will never leave you, never forsake you. He will be with you. And that will be a transforming experience for you. There's a theologian called Walter Brueggemann. And he gives a classification for the Psalms. And he says there are three types of Psalms, broadly speaking. The first is Psalms of Orientation. Everything's great in the world. Isn't it amazing? My football team won and life's great. I'm about to get married. I just bought my first house. My career is on the up. Or I've you know, just sacrificed a bull or whatever it was in the psalmist language. Just became the king or God's promise he's going to establish my throne, whatever. Psalms of orientation, you know, the pop songs, you know. Awesome stuff is happening in my life. The major key. Songs in the major key. Then he says there is, there is that second kind of psalms is psalms of disorientation. These are psalms of lament. As I said, just over a third of the psalms are psalms of disorientation. These are the blues songs. Songs of, of life when life isn't working as it should. He says there's a third category. Psalms of new orientation. Psalms which, ha which have a, a place of lament in them. But go beyond lament to discovering a new future beyond lament. We experience transformation through lament in our view of life, in our perspective on life when we go through lament with God. A transformation in perspective, a new view of God and a transformed heart, a transformed self, a transformed compassion. 2 Corinthians 1 says, with the comfort we receive, we then comfort others. Paul says, weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. 
It isn't just that we're supposed to go through lament with God. It's that we're supposed to be the kind of community where we can go through it with one another. To lament is to be transformed. So what? Before we pray, closing up. Church, don't be afraid of lament. There may be a season in your life, and it may not be now. Maybe 20 years away, maybe 30 years away, maybe 50 years away. Maybe you've already been through that season. But there will be a season when you need to befriend lament. When you will find your voice in these kinds of psalms. And maybe you'll find your voice through writing these kinds of psalms of your own. Do not run in that moment. Give permission for those who are in that place. Allow your view of God, allow your view of expression to God to be enlarged. Church, go after praise. I want us to go after praise with every fiber of our being. I want us to sing songs of joy and gladness and hope and trust. But I also, we also want to be a church, a place where people can bring every part of life. There is a world waiting at the door, asking, is there a place I can weep and be comforted? What will the church say? What I believe we will find is that when we take the journey, when we take the journey through lament, we see and discover a deeper praise as we learn to sing these songs of disorientation together alongside the songs of orientation and new orientation. So I believe we will see God change our sorrow into rejoicing. Amen. Let me stand.